Hello, and welcome to another edition of the PALCAST, the podcast from the White Coat Underground. My name is Peter Lipson, and I am an internist in the Midwestern United States. I can be found online at scienceblogs.com slash whitecoatunderground and at sciencebasedmedicine.com. And on this lovely spring day, I have been doing all kinds of things like doctoring and fathering. Um, that means being a father, not, you know... Anyway, I was riding with my daughter on the bike, and she saw a friend out playing and decided to go play, so I decided to come in and give you another edition of the PalCast. And we have a few things to talk about. You know, I I had started making another PalCast, and it was just kind of rushed. My daughter was running around asking for things, and I was just kind of, yeah, I was phoning it in, which, for a podcast, well, anyway... There's a few topics going on this week, which uh, I'd like to hit on for you. Uh, First of all, there's been a few important deaths this week, and by important, uh, I mean a lot of different things. First of all, what does death mean to people? And by this, I mean when somebody dies who you don't actually know, why do we mourn? Well, you know, I can leave that to theologians and psychiatrists, but I'm not going to. I'm going to touch it a little bit. But Obviously, if you think about it, when people we don't know die, it represents a lot more than just some stranger dropping dead. And a lot certainly depends on who they are and what the context is. For uh, Michael Jackson's death, you know, he was really the soundtrack for a lot of people's youth. And uh, Farrah Fawcett certainly reminds people of a lot of different things. Uh, She died also not terribly uh, old. And uh, the final person who I'll talk about in a bit all represent things to us. Uh, so while we might not have lost a personal friend, still people feel an emotional attachment to these strangers, and, and they do mourn. They mourn for the people, they mourn for their families, and they mourn for whatever it is, whatever part of themselves they may have lost in, or perceive that they have lost in this. I'm sure this sort of public mourning serves some sort of greater purpose, but I'm going to skip that. So let's talk about some deaths. First of all, we'll start with uh, Michael Jackson. Uh, I don't need to tell you who Michael Jackson is, because if you don't know, you probably don't know what a computer is or an iPod, and you're not listening to me. But uh, if if you uh, collect the information that's available so far, listen to the 911 tapes, it's clear that he had died at home, and people were trying to revive him and was brought to the hospital, and they weren't able to revive him. Now, death means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Uh, Some people think that uh, when your heart stops, that's when you die. Uh, On the other hand, we've got machines that can pump the blood around the body, so some people whose lungs and heart don't work, actually, their brains are still alive, sort of. Uh, Other people, most of us, in fact, define death as when the brain dies. And defining brain death is a fairly technical process, but it's not all that difficult. But, uh, you know, when somebody is simply a corpse without a mind being kept alive on machines, uh, they're dead. In the case of Michael Jackson, it sounds like his heart probably did stop for whatever reason, and we'll speculate a little bit. And when the heart stops, you don't have very long to resume circulation before the brain dies, and therefore the person. And if you do cardiopulmonary resuscitation and you know do chest compressions really well, you can sometimes save someone, but not all the time. Uh, delivering a shock across the chest with a defibrillator can often save people's lives depending on the reason their heart is stopped, but uh, defibrillators aren't always available. Although they're becoming more and more available, automated defibrillators are often seen at airports and other public places. Still, the sooner you can apply electricity and chest compressions to a heart, the more likely you are to save someone if they're savable. 
Was Michael Jackson savable? I have no idea. There are a lot of clues, but the man was rather secretive and private, which is his right. Uh, One of the big clues in the news is this uh, knowledge that he was being treated with meparidine, also known as Demerol in the States, which is a uh, narcotic painkiller. It's a little different from our usual painkillers like Dilaudid and morphine in that a lot of us don't like to use it and a lot of hospitals don't stock it anymore because it has some nasty side effects. The the primary active metabolite called normapyridine uh, can accumulate and can become rather toxic. I've seen people have seizures. It can also affect the heart. It's, it's a, not a clean drug, as we say, but still it has its uses. Uh, I can't really fathom an appropriate use at home of injected mepiridine, however, but apparently he had a private doctor in his house to look after him, a doctor who was not licensed to practice in California, but a doctor nonetheless. Of course, not being licensed to practice in a state doesn't mean you can't try to save someone's life, which he apparently tried to do. But okay, let's look back. Why would somebody be treated with injectable narcotics at home? Well, let's think here. There's lots of reasons people could have chronic pain, you know, various medical conditions, etc. And, you know, as somebody who treats chronic pain from time to time, there are lots of oral narcotics which are very effective. And they can be very safe as well. When you're using injectable narcotics, you have a often much more rapid onset of action and higher peak concentrations of the drug. And For instance, in a hospital or in a surgery center, you tend to keep an antidote around. Uh, It's called naloxone or Narcan, and it reverses the effects of narcotics, especially the uh, deadly effects such as uh, cessation of breathing. This is used frequently in emergency departments as well when somebody is overdosed on an opiate such as an opioid, opiate or opioid, opiate such as heroin. You give uh, an unconscious overdosed uh, person a Narcan, and they often wake up, and they usually wake up angry. But sometimes they're too far gone, and there's fluid in their lungs, and there's not much you can do. And as we've seen by other famous celebrity accidental overdoses, uh, combining various medications that can have sedative effects on the central nervous system can be rather dangerous. It's easy for celebrities and for doctors to start to feel that, well, You know, I don't have to go to a hospital with all the other people. I can accomplish this at home. And for doctors, this often ends up in a drug-addicted doctor. And for celebrities, this can end up as uh, a dead celebrity. It's not uncommon for people to be taking a sedative for anxiety and pain medications for pain and to just think, oh, a little more might help and for things to add up and to be dead. So frankly, I can't fathom how it could possibly be appropriate for somebody to be receiving intramuscular injections of mepiridine at home. It's just incredibly reckless, but I can see how it would happen to celebrities. Celebrities can um, be rather reckless. So uh, we've lost Michael Jackson, and, you know, despite the controversy in his life, uh, a lot of people are pretty upset about it, uh, probably because he represents certain things to him. And To me, I think the most prominent thing I remember is the charges of uh, child molestation, and uh, I probably won't be mourning him quite as deeply as other people. Moving on to another death in the news, uh, Farrah Fawcett, of course. Uh, Farrah Fawcett died of a clear cause. She died of metastatic cancer, 
and her cancer uh, was an anal cancer. And as I've uh, described in my series on cancer on the blog, anal cancer, though rare, uh, is uh, a very interesting disease, uh, less interesting if you happen to have it. Most cases of anal cancer are, uh, in fact, caused by the same virus that causes cervical cancer and genital warts, namely uh, human papillomavirus, or HPV. Uh, as I've described on the blog at, uh, in the past, this virus, or certain strains of this virus, can cause important changes in the way cells regulate themselves and the way they uh, control their own proliferation. And when these mechanisms go haywire, the cells will proliferate uncontrollably and form a tumor. Now, uh, the anus is not a place that is easy to see for most people, and these cancers can uh, get rather out of control before people notice that they're there. In her case, it sounds like it may have actually gone to the liver before they had a chance to uh, diagnose it, and that's a bad thing. Now, uh, these uh, HPV-dependent cancers, like anal cancer and cervical cancer, are, like celebrity deaths from overdose, entirely preventable, or almost entirely preventable. Uh, cervical cancer we screen for with pap smears. Uh, anal cancer, however, uh, we don't usually screen for except in particularly high-risk groups. Uh, thankfully, though, there's actually a new vaccine against four of the most common cancer-causing strains of human papillomavirus. Currently, it's being recommended to young women, but at some point, this will probably be recommended to young men as well. And there's been a lot of controversy surrounding this vaccine, not least because the company that makes it, Merck, has used some fairly shady uh, lobbying techniques in its marketing. But that doesn't distract or that shouldn't distract from the fact that it's a safe and effective vaccine and can save a lot of people a lot of pain. The final death I wanted to talk about in the news was a uh, young woman named Neda Sultani. She was apparently a uh, young adult student in Iran and was apparently, as far as we can tell, shot by either police or militiamen uh, in the streets and killed. There's a number of ways a bullet could do violence to the body and kill you, and I have no idea how she died. But it did appear that perhaps she had been shot in the chest or the abdomen. A gunshot wound to the chest can do all sorts of horrible things. It can puncture a lung, causing perhaps a tension pneumothorax. It can puncture the heart, causing rapid fatal bleeding. It can tear apart one of the major vessels, such as the aorta, or it can do a combination of all of these things. But in general, gunshot wounds to the chest are pretty horrific injuries. And of course, Neda's death also falls under the category of preventable deaths. Many violent deaths are preventable, whether they are from accident, such as auto accidents, or from violence, such as hers. Unfortunately, in her case, it's going to take a lot more than a seatbelt law to save further lives. As protests have quieted down in Iran, it's unclear what's going to happen politically there. The images from the streets are very reminiscent of Kent State and Tiananmen Square, but what it will do as far as energizing the youth of the country and giving them the courage to go in the street despite being killed, well, no one knows. Moving on to some other news around the medical blogosphere. Uh, in the case of Simon Singh, 
the medical journalist in England who's being sued for libel for telling the truth. Mr. Singh has decided to appeal a decision that went against him in the courts over there. Mr. Singh decided to uh, put in his article that the chiropractic offerings of the British Chiropractic Association and its members were bogus. And despite the fact that this is true, it had implications in English libel law that are causing Simon a world of hurt. The uh, BCA, the British Chiropractic Association, is responding like all quacks do. First, they're suing their detractors. Second, they are hiding the evidence. Uh, They have recommended that all of their members who have websites take down any information on their websites and hide it perhaps not realizing that the internet is not so forgiving in that respect. And then finally, they have put out a broadsheet trying to defend their practices. These practices, of course, are not defensible. Among them are the treatment of childhood colic, asthma, and a whole variety of other conditions which uh, uh, the treatment, the chiropractic treatment for which are based on fantasy. By way of brief review, Chiropractic was invented in the 19th century by some guy who decided that all medical problems were caused by a disruption in the flow of bodily energy through the nervous system. I hope you can hear the scare quotes in there. These magic fluids or waves or whatever were blocked by what he called vertebral subluxation complexes. And he felt that by manipulating the spine, you could release it and cure anything. Of course, this is you know, entirely made up out of whole cloth, but it's caught on and chiropractic is still a very popular practice for people who can't get into medical school. In fact, most of the time, you don't even really need to finish college to become a chiropractor. Chiropractors tend to sell things out of their offices. They're, they're just, um, the whole practice is rather questionable. There are a few out there who simply manipulate people's backs and perform a a, uh, particular form of physical therapy, which, you know, is probably not harmful and may sometimes be beneficial for self-limited conditions like low back pain. In fact, some studies have shown that chiropractic is similarly effective to handing someone a book on back care and a bottle full of Motrin. Other practices in chiropractic aren't quite so safe, like the manipulation of the neck, which can lead to vertebral artery dissection, which is a stroke in the back of your brain that you don't want to have. So, in return for Simon trying to point out the obvious, that the British Chiropractic Association is harboring quackery, and saying it in a rather moderate way, he is going to go broke and have the pants sued right off of him. Elsewhere around the medical blogosphere, there have been some interesting developments at the Huffington Post, that cesspit of quackery and new age nonsense. A uh, pediatrician recently wrote uh, a couple of very good articles. Uh, His name is uh, Harvey Karp. He's a real doctor. And he wrote a couple of articles, and there's a third one coming out, defending the practice of vaccination and explaining why vaccination is not in any way causally connected to autism. And he had me there. He really did. And he didn't lose me until he said, the real thing we should be worried about is endocrine disruptors. Now, endocrine disruptors aren't some sort of weapon on Star Trek. 
Although, if you do recall on Star Trek, they were used on a Mini R7. Uh, what he's referring to is chemicals in the environment that may affect uh, the sex hormones in, in a human body. Uh, there is actually no evidence to support any of that, and so it was sort of a, yes, you're all right, autism isn't caused by vaccines. It's caused by this other crazy idea that I can't defend. So that was rather disappointing. The uh, final piece of HuffPo quackery, which I touched on in the blog, was an article that kind of rambled on about how we don't do medicine right because we focus on diagnosis, blah, blah, blah. There's this whole weird field out there that calls itself functional medicine that, like much of the uh, quackery out there, claims to look at medicine differently. It looks at the whole person, at the real cause of disease, as if I haven't been studying and treating the real cause of disease all these years. It it really does sicken me that all of these wackos out there want to appropriate normal medicine, give it new names, and call it some sort of revolutionary new thing. Prevention of disease is common, real medicine. Advising people to eat right and exercise is normal, real medicine. Telling them to stop smoking, that's normal medicine. Treating them after they get sick, that's real medicine too. But as I think we may have discussed previously, this emphasis on behavior above all else really is punitive. It gives a punitive view to medicine. It says, if you don't follow my teachings and you get sick, it's your own damned fault. And that's very unproductive in medicine. There will always be people who will have unhealthy behaviors. They're going to smoke. They're going to eat too much. They're not going to take care of themselves. There's also going to be people in medicine who, for whatever genetic reason, are unhealthy. And it is not wrong to focus on that. I don't kick someone out of my practice for refusing to stop smoking or for being fat. Finally, in a, I think, unique blogospheric event, there was a online marriage proposal this weekend. A couple named Jason and Jody actually managed to get uh, engaged online. And yes, we all know that's just uber geeky, but uh, Jason is an IT guy, so I can kind of understand that. Read the uh, whole story over at uh, Feringula, or uh, I, I assume that Stephanie Zavon will have it up at Almost Diamonds, but apparently Jody decided to propose to Jason through a series of blog posts, which really, I know it's geeky, but it's really, really cute. And uh, he actually said yes. And uh, I just, you know, God, that's cute. Um, geeks in love. What could be better? I hope you two have a wonderful geeky life and have lots of geeky children, if that's what you want. So that brings us to the close of another Palcast. Remember, you can find me at the White Coat Underground at scienceblogs.com slash whitecoatunderground, which I probably will clip and put at the beginning of this Palcast as well. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, listen to me next time.